Welcome back. Sports Radio 94. WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley's behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. It's how you hop aboard on this Tuesday night as we get set for Super Bowl 57. Joining us right now on the guest line, Brad Spielberger, pro football focus. Talk about the matchup in this Eagles team. Brad, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Joe. How you doing? Brad, while we're excited here in Philadelphia, as the Eagles uh, punched their ticket to the Super Bowl and really just another dominating you know, performance. And this one obviously aided by the injury to Brock Purdy. But, Brad, how do you put in context the Eagles' run to the Super Bowl here? I mean, they're only, I think, the fifth team ever to win the conference championship and the division round by 21-plus points. I mean, we usually just don't see this where a team bulldozes both playoff games on the way to the Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, you know, like you said, obviously there were the injuries and the Niners didn't have a quarterback, but I still think the Eagles probably win that game by multiple scores uh, because really they, they were controlling the line of scrimmage against a team that that's their strength and, and that's what they do very well in San Francisco. You know, no one had been able to run the ball on this team. And look, the Eagles, you know, average a little bit under four yards per carry, but there were enough, you know, carries where they would get those six, seven chunk yard plays and get to the second level um, and really just, you know, move the defensive line. Um, it, it was a really impressive performance. And, yeah, obviously the Giants game was a blowout as well. So, you know, they're peaking at the right time, no question. Brad, they now enter the Super Bowl with more sacks than any team has ever entered the Super Bowl with. I mean, they, they've now passed the 85 Bears. How do you categorize this pass rush? You know, we, we, we know those all-time great defenses that we talk about, and, and I don't think this Eagles team – is on that level. I don't think of them as like the 85 Bears or, you know, the, the 2000 Ravens. They have had a couple games here, the Dallas game in December where they got they got beat up a little bit. But in terms of sacks, we've I mean, we've literally never seen this before. Yeah, you know, I think they are going to fundamentally change how teams view roster construction at this position. I think you and I have maybe spoke about this, but, you know, talking about the team they just played in, in San Francisco, I'm not saying they shouldn't do this, but they're about to give Nick Bosa, you know, $30 million a year probably, whereas the Eagles have no one making, you know, more than half of that, right? You have Hassan Reddick at 15, Sweat at 14, you keep Brandon Graham around, you know, you bring in all these pieces on the interior and the exterior, and I do think more and more teams are going to realize, look, I mean, Josh Sweat played about 650 snaps. Uh, Reddick didn't play the full, you know, 1,000, played about 700. Obviously, Brandon Graham is, is a rotational guy. Like, I think going a platoon approach, at defensive line because that's how they get the price flag. That's how you finish maybe some of these sacks. The other teams, they're getting pressure, but they can't bring guys down because they're playing, you know, 50, 60 snaps a game instead of 30, 40. And I think other teams might copycat that, especially if they do, you know, come out with the Lombardi Trophy. Brad, what did you make of the initial line uh, for the Super Bowl here? It opened up with the Chiefs as a favorite and very quickly flipped the other way. Now we're coming back a little bit, but, uh, you know, these bookmakers set the line and, and betters came in and said, no, the, we'll take the Eagles at plus points right now. Yeah, so that was really interesting. You know, obviously didn't cross the key number either way. So, you know, as you know, you know, getting to a field goal would be really meaningful to either side. And I would, I would be surprised if at any point this week or next week it gets to a full field goal in either direction. But, you know, it's still interesting nonetheless to move that swiftly and that significantly in the Eagles' favor. I do think part of it is a reaction to the Chiefs' injuries we saw in their game against Cincinnati. Obviously, three wide receivers go out. Towards the end of the game, you see Mahomes limping a little bit on that ankle. Um, and I think it's the market has started to go back now. I saw it at one and a half last time I checked. You know, got out to two and a half in the Eagles' favor. Now Eagles minus one and a half. 
I think it'll settle right around there by kickoff of next Sunday, you know, barring some, some new news of some capacity. Brad, coaching on Sunday, um, Sirianni on one side, Shanahan on the other, and it was a big conversation here the, the last week, you know, coach of the year. Obviously, Shanahan was a finalist, Sirianni wasn't. And then, you know, one guy had his experience, the other guy didn't. So it was like, hmm, do the Eagles have an advantage this week? But when the game started, they did. I mean, I thought Sirianni, those two fourth downs were really pivotal early, kind of set the stage for the game. And, Brad, I still don't understand why Shanahan did not challenge that play. I know it's early. I know there was probably limited replay in that short time, but – I just when a receiver's standing up and telling his team to the rush to the line, it, it it feels like a tell. He he knows he didn't catch the ball. Yeah. So to the first point, and I think it's going to play into the Super Bowl as well. What I like to say is, I think Kyle Shanahan is probably the best Monday through Saturday coach in the NFL. But his entire tree, for whatever reason, I don't think it's taught in the Shanahan tree. But they're terrible with fourth down decisions. You know, with, with timeout and clock management. Sean McVay is pretty awful at it as well. Again, another guy who is elite elite from Monday to Saturday, but is just not good at the in-game decision-making component of head coaching. And Sirianni, maybe he's not quite, you know, the, the genius X's and O's guys as those guys. I think he is, you know, right up there in that conversation. But maybe you say, okay, he's a tick lower there, but he's going to add a ton of value. Look, that's fourth and one on their own 34-yard line or 37-yard line, whatever it was, was a game-changing decision that none of those guys would ever dream of doing. And I don't think Andy Reid would either. Again, also maybe the greatest Monday to Saturday offensive coach of all time. So I think it's a factor that will be interesting coming into this game. If there are some edge cases there, can the Eagles gain, you know, some significant edge via the, you know, the aggressiveness, but also the savvy, you know, decision making from Nick Sirianni? Brad, some conjecture um, last day or so about you know, will the NFL, will there be a, a, a push to change the rule or, or review it? Do you think the uh, Eagles rugby push on the quarterback sneaks they do, do you think the NFL might look to change that, ban it? It, it almost feels like an unstoppable short yardage play they've created. It's interesting. I know that obviously the infamous the Reggie Bush, uh, you know, Matt Leinert push at USC, and so I don't think you can do it at, in college. Um, so it's obviously a rule that has been, you know, you know, looked at at other levels of football. My, my thing I come back to with any question like that is I think the NFL just wants to promote offense in any way they possibly can. So, you know, from that perspective, I would imagine they say, well, you know, figure out how to stop it. Uh, well, we're fine with it. I also do think, yeah, it's probably the most automatic play in football when you have maybe the best interior offensive line in the NFL and you then have a quarterback that can bench press, whatever, 700 pounds, I mean, uh, what 700 pounds or whatever it is, um, it then also becomes truly the most unstoppable play in all of football. Brad, let's look ahead here. Super Bowl 57, the Eagles and the Chiefs. You know, when, when I think about the Eagles this year, it, it, it's, it's a matter of how the game expresses itself. Sometimes they run it a lot, and they can run it very well, and, and they have 38 rushing touchdowns. They also, I think, led the NFL in yards per pass attempt, so they could throw it and be efficient that way too. I wonder how this game plays out because I could see a path to a shootout. If the Chiefs are moving the ball and the Eagles, the Eagles could throw with them. Um, but if the Eagles are up, they could also run. How do you expect the Eagles to attack the Chiefs here on Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, so I, I do think game script, like you mentioned, is going to be huge. But I think even if they are down a little bit early, I, I think they are going to lean on and rely on their run game and really cycle through maybe not, you know, all three guys. I think Kenneth Gainwell is going to be very involved. I think we'll see some Boston Scott, obviously Miles Sanders, and I do think we're going to see more and more design rushes from Jalen Hurts as well. So, look, I mean, they're like I said, they're blowing the Niners off the line. A team that was second best in EPA per rush allowed on the season, 
and you look at a bunch of different metrics, allowed the fewest explosive rushes of any team in the NFL by a sizable margin, um, and it just did not matter. So, you know, I think there's an even, even bigger edge, of course, against Kansas City. I don't think they're going to go away from that, um, especially because also defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, Steve Spagnuolo, is very aggressive, likes to dial up exotic blitzes and do different things and, and have shifts and post-snaps. So he'll show a certain look pre-snap and then rotate post-snap and try to confuse the opposing quarterback and all these things. And I think sometimes the easiest recipe is just, hey, we're just going to pound the rock, and until you stop us, we're just going to keep you know picking up five, six yards of carry. Brad, what's your thought on the uh, matchup next weekend? Chiefs corners, very young group. They did a good job uh, this past Sunday against Joe Burrow and the and the Bengals, and uh, I thought that tip was a really, uh, really good play. You know, and and they had they lost Snead, so they got even younger back there. But they're up against a really good receiving core. You know, Devontae Smith and, and a really big AJ Brown. What do you think about that matchup? Uh, Eagles receivers, Chiefs corners. Yeah, they did all play really well, the young guys. But obviously, you also saw. The T. Higgins mossing in the corner of the end zone. Jamar Chase against double coverage, and neither defensive back turns their head around. I'm kind of an underthrown ball, frankly, but Jamar Chase is just the only guy who turned around to look at it, so he catches that ball right near the goal line as well. Um, you know, you mentioned the Brian Cook, their, their young safety, the second rounder. Uh, his tip to his teammate, I think that was an intentional tip to his teammate as well, a little bit of an assist on the interception. So, I think they're playing well. They're getting better as each week goes on. I think Joshua Williams was great. I think Duffy's great. You know, with Williams, uh, the fourth rounder, he's 6'3". So maybe you get him against A.J. Brown, a little bit more physical, um, and he can handle that matchup better. But that being said, uh, it is obviously a mismatch in the Eagles' favor. Um, You know, they just got to take advantage of it. Brad, let's end with this. Um, both quarterbacks are, are are banged up, and the two weeks hopefully will help them. Um, do you think we're headed towards a higher-scoring game, or do you think the defense, specifically the Eagles, could keep this lower-scoring? Because I could, I could see paths to both, but I also wouldn't surprise me if we got a 31-30 kind of game in Arizona. Yeah, there's always that possibility <laughs> with these two teams that it just turns into a shootout. Um, but I really do think the, the under is intriguing here. We talked about the opening spread – the opening total was also 51.5 at a lot of books and immediately got down to 49.5. So, you know, there clearly was some action. I think it's back to 50 now, depending on where you look. But nevertheless, I also do think there is a possibility of both teams running the ball a good amount if their quarterbacks are not 100% healthy because I think they both have an advantage running the ball in the opposing defense. We've seen Kansas City with Isaiah Pacheco, you know, trust him in important situations. And he runs physical, he runs angry, just gets downhill and churns those feet. So I, I lean under, um, but I'm very aware of, you know, the, the risk that they just turn into, uh, you know, some fireworks if things break a certain way. Yeah, it certainly could. Brad Spielberger, Spielberger Pro Football Focus. Brad, thank you, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good night. There he goes. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus. So he mentioned there the under. He thinks more of a lower scoring game. Both teams could run the football. I mean, the Chiefs, they don't really run. Um I mean, would they have like 40 yards rushing last week? They didn't run it much at all against the Bengals. I mean, they, they put that game on Patrick Mahomes that you go win the game on one leg and he did. So, I mean, the Chiefs are bad in the red zone defensively. They're bad on third down defensively. I believe the Eagles – and I'm expecting Jalen Hurts to be better throwing the football in the Super Bowl. I, I think – and we, I think we talked about this last week. I thought this past game would be the most difficult game physically for Jalen Hurts to play like himself. Just think about it for a second. He had the injury. He missed the, the time, right? Then he came back against the Giants, and it was his first game back, and he was kind of working the kinks out. Then he got two full weeks, and I thought he threw the ball pretty well against the Giants. 
And then this game, he only had the one week. I thought it affected the way he threw the football. Now this time he gets two weeks again. I, I think we get a better Hurts throwing performance. I, I, I thought this one physically with the sprain would be the most difficult one like to bounce back and play again. I think we're getting points here in this Super Bowl. I, I know this Eagles defense has been amazing, and maybe they just will hit and chase Mahomes around so much that it's they can't get going, but I don't know. Two teams that average 30 points a game almost feels to me like we're going to get some points in this game. So the, so I, I think it's interesting that Brad picks the under on the game. The other point about Shanahan, I still can't believe that the game's on again, NFL Network's showing it. I just They just showed the Devontae Smith catch or non-catch. I still can't believe he didn't challenge that play. That was fourth and three from what, like the 40-yard 40, 40 line around there? I mean, that, they have significant feels. It was a 34, 35. Okay. But Purdy's still in the game at this point. Correct. This not, is the for opening drive. Yeah, he he's not hurt yet. So they have significant field position if they win win it. And the Eagles are basically set up for an easy touchdown after the catch. Like it was it wasn't you know, sometimes challenges early in a game, it's like, are you really gonna challenge that on around the fifty yard line for a first down? Eh, it's not worth it. We we need to save that that challenge. Like this was a swing play before the game got out of hand and he just brushed it away. Yeah, I mean Doug Peterson was the king of meaningless challenges. Oh yeah. Remember like he Challenged the Nelson Aguilar catch that would have made it like second and nine. Against the Packers. and uh, I think it was Packers. Yeah, it, it was like a one-yard catch in the third quarter at midfield. It would have done absolutely nothing. But yeah. two things on that I thought were interesting. That catch was on the Eagles' sideline, right? So no 49ers personnel necessarily had a good look at it live. And if you go back and watch the TV broadcast and they see Devontae Smith jump up, they recognize it and they say maybe he didn't get in bounds. I wonder if that was the 49ers' thought. Right before they got that mm. that look that showed um, he, he didn't you know catch it and didn't control it to the ground, I wonder if Shanahan saw him pop up and said you know up to the booth was he in bounds? He got up quickly and, and they, they said, said yes. he was in by two yards and then they just kind of moved off it. Yeah, that that could have been. It's almost like happens in baseball sometimes where the the, the challenge or the. Like, it, did he catch the ball? Did he step on second base for the relay? Like, there's the multiple p- parts of the replay. Yeah, like, I wonder if they just focused on the wrong thing. Because that's what the broadcast did at first. The broadcast yeah. mentioned, was he out of bounds? They're hurrying up to the ball. And then they went to the quick replay and said, oh, no, he was in by three yards. So, that's certainly possible. I always do think, though, the player is the tell. And I'm not sure if Devontae Smith could have known if he was in bounds. Right? The way he fell, how quick. Like, there's no, um, like, the ground doesn't feel different. Like, in, yeah, there's no way he would know he, he hit the ground. Um, but he does know if he caught the ball or not. And when he stood up and was signaling to his teammates to get to the line, and again, that was a big play. So they had to, they had to, it was almost the way they were sprinting was like it was like late in the second quarter or fourth quarter and the clock is running out. Like they need to spike the ball. And I'm like, my first thought was he knows he didn't catch it. There's These guys lie all the time. They always pretend they catch the ball when they don't. So if he's acting like that, he knows he didn't catch the ball. Because I believe if he if he thought it was close, he wouldn't have said anything. He wouldn't have tipped the Niners off to, like, you know, challenge this play. If he thought it was even close, he just goes to the line like nothing happens. He knew 100%. He didn't catch that ball. It was very clear he was panicked. Yeah. I, I mean, he was signaling to them, get to the line. I, I just – it was a bad moment for Shanahan. And Shanahan's had a lot of these now. There, there's a – there's an element to Shanahan that it reminds me of a young Andy Reid, where he keeps winning. He looks at it as a coach of the year, an offensive guru, can win with any quarterback, wins with backups. But boy, it, 
He falls hard when he falls to Kyle Shannon, just like Andy did early in his career. I just think you have to be bold to win in playoff games, right? And we saw it with Doug in 2017, and Sirianni necessarily hasn't had to be that bold because they've just bullied right. teams the first two weeks. But going for it on fourth down in that situation was bold. Going for it on fourth down later in the second quarter uh, from your own 34, that was a bold move. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Shanahan has that in his genes, and my thought has always been he can make a bad quarterback or an average quarterback look good, look great in the regular season. And when it comes to the postseason, I think you have to put your players in position to win the games and trust them to go out and make plays. And he doesn't necessarily do that. I mean, he seemed really content to just turtle and hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel at the end of the game when Brock Purdy couldn't throw. And instead of just doing anything, I mean, I don't care if you let Christian McCaffrey throw the ball 10 times and he gets picked off nine, at least you're trying something. Well, didn't, he, didn't McCaffrey throw for a touchdown in his first game with the Niners? He did. I'm not saying he could play the quarterback position, you know, full-time, but, you know, at least he has he has some skill in, in doing that. Um, by the way, as I rewatched the game, I wanted to make sure I brought this up, the ratings for these two games were enormous. So he, while Sean Marash was upset that some people in Philadelphia went out after the Eagles game, plenty of people stayed in. So I think it was $47 million watched Eagles-Niners, which is a really big number considering – if you didn't have a stake, and I would, I would guess, I don't know, half that number is, is the Bay Area or, or you know Philadelphia, Delaware Valley, but whatever. If you didn't have a stake, though, why would you stay with that game? It was over. It was a bad game if you weren't an Eagles fan. Right. But yet, I think we can admit that. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. 47 million people watched it, and then over 50, the 53, watched the AFC Championship game, which obviously had drama, and it was close, and all that kind of stuff, So, uh, and, and two big-time quarterbacks. So I'm not surprised about that, but... I, I'm just always blown away by the ratings of big-time NFL games. I mean, they just so far dwarf the biggest games in the other sports every single time. Like, I wonder how many people watch the World Series games. I, mean, I remember talking about it, but I don't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, 10 million? 12 million for the World Series? I, I would guess just the, the game five and six, probably four, five, and six. And, and the NFC title game, which was a blowout, got 47 million people. I mean, think about Thursday Night Football, which was a terrible product. That averaged something between, like, 14 and 16 million. Right. I mean, that was outdrawing the World Series on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, even the NBA Finals. I mean, and, and the NBA Finals typically has star players, all-time players, the Steph Currys, LeBron Jameses, whoever. You know, and that, you know, I, I guess at its height, that LeBron Warriors final got like 25 million. That was that was probably the highest rated game in, in a very long time, and that was a very special, like Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson flailing all over the field got 47 million people. It's like the NFL's popularity and how many people watch these games is enormous. And they'll set a new record two weeks from now. I forget it goes up every year. It's like what what are we at? Like 110 million that watched the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think between the draw power of Patrick Mahomes and the like ability of Jalen Hurts and the the fervor of the Eagles fan base, it should be a, a, a ridiculous number. Yeah, it just it just goes up every time, and it's and it's obviously an event and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm excited to be out there next week and doing the shows out there. I've never been to a Super Bowl. I've never been to the atmosphere of the whole week. I mean, I'm not I'm coming home for the game, but I'm I'm more excited for the atmosphere of the city and the week and just like everyone's there for the football game. That's crazy to me because when I was down in Houston for the World Series. It was more like I noticed there were a lot of people, like travelers, right? There was fans. People and there from... were probably a lot of people there for the football game. Right. Of course, yeah. But, like, everyone, I, I would imagine, I, I don't know how many people come in for the Super Bowl, right? You have 70,000 fans. How many are local versus uh, non-local? I don't know. 
but I, I have to imagine so, like that whole city is going to be filled up with people there for the Super Bowl, media stuff. I mean, it, I'm sure it's going to be crazy. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to just take that in. Because when I was in Houston, like when I did the shows, I was just in a regular radio station. It didn't feel any different. Right. I was just in a in a building very in a much different like, building. Right. I was in a building very much like this, and it just happened to be in the city of Houston. And then I, you know, did they have a view as beautiful as beautiful as ours. They did not. There, it was interesting. They uh, the building, uh, the Odyssey Station building in in Houston, where I did the shows on the two days I was there. It's almost like in a complex where there's apartments around it. Um, I guess townhouses, apartments. So a lot of people live there. I guess like it's because it's like an industrial complex. So there's buildings, people work, and they live. But the person who let me in, I think he like, I forget what his job was, but he let me in and he, I said I'd be there at like, I don't know, 2.30. And he's like, all right, I'll meet you there. And then he wasn't there when I, I, I got there. So I called him and I said, I'm here. You know, I'm ready whenever you get here. He was like, oh yeah, I'll be there in a second. And I watched him walk out of like where he lives. It was across <laughs> the street, which is, um, that I don't know how I feel about that. Would you want to live across the street from here? I do think it would be convenient and maybe in the past, when I worked part time, and you would get a call like, "Hey, can you be at work in right. twenty minutes?" But I don't know. I live about fifteen minutes away from work right now. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that commute. Yeah, that's not bad. I just thought it was interesting. He walked out of his building, and I saw him as he walked out. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. All right, we come back. I want to play it for you, Angelo Cataldi with Nick Sirianni this morning. Nick's first appearance on WIP as the NFC champion. You hear from Nick Sirianni next on Sports Radio ninety four WIP.